All right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. Raf Giallo here alongside Anthony Pine of RT Sport Online. We're also joined by journalist David Snade and also former Republic of Ireland international Keith Tracy. They'll be picking their LOI teams and player of the year a little bit later on. You'll also be hearing the words cup and final in conjunction a lot as we reflect on Sunday's final between Shelburne at Lone and the women's decider. And then also we're going to look ahead to the men's showpiece. But First, we're going to talk about the Champions League draw, which just happened on the RT News channel a couple of hours ago. But just after that, Anthony, then was the news that FSG, Fenway Sports Group, are putting Liverpool up for sale. And it's coming at a time where there's a sense that Liverpool are at a crossroads on and off the pitch. Yeah, um, it's, it's an interesting development. I, I think it's not, an, it's not a major shock, really. I, I, there has been noises that uh, they've been considering this for, for a while. And uh, I don't know the reasons why to do it now. I mean, I guess it's, it's sort of happening at a time when Liverpool are stuttering a bit on, on the pitch and um, you know, they've obviously dipped badly this, this year. Um, but I think this has been in the works for, for a while. Maybe the, 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 economic, the global economic situation, that this is the time for them to try and pull the trigger on it. Because they, like, they bought Liverpool for £300 million, Raph, 12 years ago, which was a snip. It was an absolute steal. Liverpool were, were a mess at that time. Uh, they are venture capitalists. This is what they do. They, they spotted an opportunity to come in and, and they, they got the club for, for peanuts, really. Um, what would it be worth now? I don't know. I mean, if, if you're going to take Chelsea as a reference point, you're probably looking at about in around four billion is what they would be looking for. Now, in their statement, I think they, they say they're looking for uh, investors and shareholders as opposed to an outright sale. So it would be interesting what exactly that means. Is it, but they sort of hand control of the club over gradually... Is that what they're thinking? Uh, we, we don't really know. But um, the, the, it's, they have a, a strange relationship, I think, with the Liverpool fan base because they've done great things. They've expanded the stadium. They've built a brand new state-of-the-art training base. Um, the, the club won the Premier League for the first time in 30 years. They won a Champions League. They brought in Jorgen Klopp. So they've done lots of good things, but they've sort of taken a few little missteps along the way as well. Like They tried to, to increase the... The ticket prices a few years ago, and there was a walkout during the match because of that. They tried to trademark, trademark the word Liverpool, which really annoyed uh, the fan base as well because it, it, you know, a lot of independent business people around the ground, it would have put them out of business. If that's their livelihood, they wouldn't be able to sell scarves and badges, etc. And then obviously the, the Super League breakaway uh, as well was, was, was a major source of discontentment. Uh, among all fans really so it's it's a weird relationship it's been a little bit fractured and now what's happening is that they've been very smart and in, in that they're self-sufficient Liverpool they, they kind of put money what they what the club earns they put back in like the owners don't really invest their own money and that's work that's great when you're successful they've made some very good smart buys but when you start to struggle and slip back a little bit then people start to look at why aren't you buying a new midfielder? Why aren't we getting a new striker? You're looking at Manchester, so you're looking at Newcastle, clubs like this. And um, I don't know, may, maybe this, maybe that's a, an element, there's an element to that as well. They just sort of realise which way the wind is blowing here. You know, like, the, especially with the Newcastle ownership, maybe they're just thinking, oh, we, we can't really compete here without just throwing, you know, crazy money at this indefinitely. And that's not really what they're all about. So, uh, it's it's an in, interesting times, uh, Raf. We, we'll see how it develops, but um, I I don't think this is a major major shock that they're looking to kind of move the club on at this point. To be honest. Yeah, and Keith, it comes at a time when, as uh, a couple of hours before that, we saw the Champions League draw where they're going to be 
re- renewing acquaintances with uh, the team that beat them in last season's Champions League final, Real Madrid. And then when we look at the rest of the draw, RB Leipzig against Manchester City, Club Brugge against Benfica, AC Milan against Tottenham, Eintracht Frankfurt against Napoli, Dortmund against Chelsea, Inter against Porto, and then another big one, PSG against Bayern Munich. We've uh, we've a lot of big games to to look forward to uh, when the club season resumes after the World Cup. Yeah, there's some cracking games in there. The Bayern PSG one is obviously a huge one I'm really looking forward to. And obviously one of the big ones will go. They can't both go through. So either Bayern or PSG are going to fall at the first hurdle. Liverpool and Real Madrid, one of them will go missing as well. So Manchester City must be licking their lips. You know, it, it seems to be every year we come around and think, oh, it, it's getting better. It's weighing in their favour. You would expect them to get past RB Leipzig pretty easily. Liverpool, Real Madrid, as I say, one of the big ones are going out. It's a cracking, cracking game. It really is. I wouldn't be surprised if Liverpool went and won the fourth leg in Anfield and then they go to the Bernabeu with Benzema and Modric. The two of them just seem to be evergreen. You know, they just seem to be getting better and better with age. Still absolutely fantastic. The watch is sharp as attack Benzema. Anything comes into the box, he, he's outstanding. He's hold up play. He goes wandering as well. He has that. We're always raving about Harry Kane being able to drop into the midfield and get runners beyond them. He can do that as well with the two wingers, Vinicius and the other boy on the other wing. That the pace is outstanding. So lots and lots of threats. Liverpool would be delighted that the the toy is not being played until February because there's a, still a lot of issues. I know he had a great win against Spurs yesterday, but there's still an awful, awful lot of issues. And what Real Madrid have is they have, they're a very, very stubborn team to break down and they can hit you with pace on the counter-attack. And like I said, they only need one chance and Benzema, they can easily win a game 1-0 or if they need to go, we see they throw the, the kitchen sink at teams. Teams tend to buckle as well. So a great game. But I think everything, what will be coming out of this is that Manchester City will be licking their lips because as I say, Bayern, PSG, Liverpool or Real Madrid will be going missing. Yeah, and uh, let's not forget also the Europa League playoff round draw that was made. And uh, David, there was a fixture there that in a bygone era was a Champions League fixture, um, but probably just goes to show exactly where Barcelona and Manchester United are for very different reasons. I know, I kind of ordinarily remember, was that famous semi-final in 2008 as well? Yeah. The, the Paul Scholes goal, obviously the final, the Champions League final in 2009. Uh, when Messi and Samuelito scored as well. Messi's great header in that game when he peeled off Rio Ferdinand. But um, it was one of them. I think you're probably looking at it. It was probably going to be Barcelona, considering the summer that was just gone when United were chasing Frankie de Jong and he clearly didn't want to live and that never materialised. And United ended up then with, with Casemiro. Or it would have probably been Ajax, given the fact that obviously Ten Hag has gone to, to United from there and there's Anthony as well and, and Martinez. But... It's still, it's one of them where I suppose if for, for United and even maybe for Barcelona, they get, they're in the competition they don't want to be in, but there is that maybe element of glamour to it that they are two still the biggest clubs left in it, you know, in terms of history and the name rather than maybe actual standing at the moment. But I'd say for both sets of those fans, it's still very exciting, really will be. And it's going to, there will be that element, I'd say, to, no, I wouldn't say needle maybe, but just because of everything that has gone on over the last little while as well, that that'll be it there too but I think it's just going to be a really exciting a really exciting game as well and Lewandowski on the pitch Ronaldo possibly on the pitch at the same time as well you don't often get to see that too so it's if you're going to be in the second tier competition and you have to get out and you want to get out of it and get back to the obviously to the elite in the Champions League these are other occasions especially for Ten Hag and folks on United side of it that they have to come through you know after the weekend where they've been doing so well for so many weeks and then they have a bit of a reality check against Villa 
this kind of test against Barcelona would be just another indication of maybe even where Ten Hag is as well as a manager with this United team, you know? Yeah, and you were keeping Anthony company at Tallis Stadium yesterday, of course, as well. The Women's Cup final, Shelburne beating at Lone 2-0 to seal the double. Now, uh, in terms of reaction, let's listen to the Evoke.ie player of the match, Jess Stapleton, and also manager, Noel King. Well done. I'm, I'm a goal scorer as well. Can you tell me what you remember about the goal? I don't know. I turned around and it was in the back of the net, so I just went off and celebrated. <laughs> set you off brilliantly. Set up the game for you, really, didn't it? Sorry? It set up the game for you, really, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. I think it calmed the nerves, but after our long came out, we were in the goal and we dealt with it well. And then uh, when the other goal went in, I think we were, we were settled. Pearl Slattery for that one, of course. She's popped up so often on the big days like this. Yeah, I'm delighted for her. Pearl is an incredible person and I'm just buzzing for her. And from your own point of view, though, I mean, gosh, a double this season and for Shelburne Football Club, maybe a special double next week as well with the men. Yeah, uh, it's an incredible week for the club. All these fans are going to go out and support the men in the next couple of hours as well. So it shows the sort of fans that are in the club. It's an incredible club. And the way that this showpiece has moved as well. A record crowd today of over 5,000 people. What was it like to play in that? Incredible. As I said, the home, the fans of Shelbourne make every game feel like a home game. And I think women's football is just going to keep growing and growing. Always the double is the hardest one to get and it's the sweetest, I think, you know. Two years on the trot, uh, two titles and into Europe, winning a game in Europe. It's been an amazing season with these bunch of girls. They're really terrific. They're, they are amateurs, but they behave like professionals and they deserve everything they've got. They put in so much work. Second half, were you a little bit concerned when that loan came back into it? <laughs> little bit concerned. <laughs> well, they had the braze. They had nothing to lose. So they were going for broke and fair play to them because there's a lot of trouble. But I think we defended really well. We're known as an attacking team and we, we do try and play football. Nice, nice football. But I thought we showed they can defend as well and I think full marks to them, so it's great. Jess Stapleton didn't know too much about it, but she's uh, credited with the <laughs> opening goal of the game and she was player of the match as well. She had a terrific 90-plus minutes. Yeah, we've some great young players, honestly. Jess has been exceptional through the year. She's going to be some player. Abby is the same thing. But I don't like saying that you go back to the Pearl and Rachel. It's it's such a combination of old, young and in the mix. You know, Jess Gargan is outstanding as well. I, don't want to, I, I can't keep naming names because everybody, they're all brilliant. They fully deserve what they've got. And I'm just so pleased for them. Well, you did turn to your experienced players at the end, I suppose, to steady the ship and, <laughs> and sail it home. Well, that was the whole thing. Poor Rachel, I said before the match, she didn't deserve to be out of the team, but the team had been doing so well. Uh, we got three wins, went up matter to win the league, so you can't really bring her in. And when she did come in, she steadied the ship, as you said, and she deserved. What a, what a player. What an atmosphere here with the Shelburne fans and these scenes. And Noel, you've been in the game for such a long time, in the women's game and the men's game. Isn't it great to see at a cup final day? It's unbelievable. It's great to see the advances that are, that are happening in the women's game. It's as though no, there doesn't seem to be any end to it. I've played in the League of Ireland matches with smaller crowds than this, that's for sure. But uh, that's the way of the future. And we'll just embrace it and enjoy it. And, although. I'll say no. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, enjoy it is right. Uh, it's been a terrific year for Shelburne and, and for women's football in general. Well done. Well, exactly. Thanks very much. Don't say well done to me. Say it to the players who are the... It's a player's game. 
All right, so that is Jeff Stapleton and Noel King after Shelburne's 2-0 win over Athlone Town in the final yesterday, which sealed the double, having won the league title a week earlier. And maybe just touching on the, the last point in terms of the, the attendance, Anthony, I mean, over 5,000 added. And then if you couple that with the sense of progress for the, the women's national team going to a World Cup for the first time and Tala has sort of become the, the fortress and the home for it, it's a real sign of progress. It is. Look, I mean, it's a tangible sign of progress when you have that many people there. And, you know, it was a good atmosphere and a, and a, a nice crowd, over 5,000 record attendance, as was referenced there for a women's cup final. So, you know, this is a bit of a moment now for the women's game generally in Ireland. You know, we'll see how the, the success of the national side tumbles down in terms of uh, the domestic game or if it does at all. You know, that that's really... We will only know that in, in the next sort of two, three, four, five years. But there's an opportunity, that's for sure. You know, there is an opportunity. Uh, it was a good game yesterday. Uh, Shelburne just probably just had a little bit more experience about them on the day. And to be fair, they, they got the rub of the green at certain points as well. Um, but there's a lot of good players on show. And some of them were straight on the plane the next morning to go to Spain, to Vera Powell's, uh training camp, international training camp with the Republic of Ireland. Uh, so it is. It is a good. It is a good moment for the women's game in Ireland. But we, where is it going to lead? We don't know. Like I think the next step in terms of the women's national league is semi-professionalism, which which is coming, uh, and that's really important. You know, if you get to that stage, then obviously the standard comes up, and, and it opens up more opportunities for these players. We we retain some of the better players for longer because at the minute they're going to the women's super league or the women's championship in England. Um, much sooner because they can make a living out of it, you know, which, which is not the case at the minute. So, uh, yeah, it, it is it is a moment, it is an opportunity. Um, it's just going to take a bit of time for us to see if if that chance is is really seized and properly taken. Yeah, and David, I mean, in terms of how the game played out, it ended up being decided by set pieces. We'll talk about some of the refereeing decisions a little bit later on, but um, as Anthony said, Shell's experience showed true, but at the same time, Athlone, there was a spell in the second half where they were really on top and, you know, maybe the rub of the green in terms of refereeing decisions, and then, you know, if they'd taken one one or two of those chances, who knows what would have happened. Yeah, like the big one, the big one I would say, obviously, would be the goal that was disallowed for for offside and Tommy Ewa kind of spoke quite passionately after the game as you would probably imagine like um it was only about 10 minutes or so after Shells had pretty much lifted the, the cup as well and he was trying to put a bit of a brave face in it by saying you know this is a club where I'm not sure who it was it might actually have been Anthony he kind of got embroiled by asking him was he expecting to maybe lose some players now and, and he was like well why would they go anywhere this is a club going to go places and we can take over this league in the next couple of years but you can understand why he would have been like he would have been pretty you can understand why he was so, just, so annoyed with the offside goal because it was clearly onside the only thing I can think of is that there is an at-long player I can't remember who it was in the Lionsman's uh, eye line who was well offside and maybe he was thinking well, she was in line with, with her at the time. That's the only kind of logical explanation you may, you may be able to give. But I'll be honest, and like even from saying it, other than that moment, and I know he, you were kind of complaining about the free kick that was initially given for the first goal, you're going to get those kind of soft ones the other time, you know what I mean? I don't think you can be really arguing about that being given as a free kick. You should really be questioning your goalkeeper for both goals. You can't get away from it. It was atrocious how, how that was really. And like what you would have to say would be, other than that offside goal that was that, that should have been given, that would have maybe changed the dynamic totally, you would, you would have imagined, because, yeah, Adelon were doing well. But other than that, 
Clonely really just huffed and puffed. There was a couple of long range efforts. Atosh Elborn, despite maybe back to the against the wall, but I, think, I thought it was probably comfortable ish. It wasn't as if they were getting carved open left, right, and center. Although I think there was an opportunity for Madison Gibson as well, maybe with yeah, a ten minutes to yeah, go she, with a ball. She put one over um, when it was played back to her. And then, when it was played yeah. back to her, like that yeah. was it. That was probably that was probably the best move of the match from that long perspective, where they actually got in, they got in around the the back and were able to create something. Other than that, Tasha Elbow were pretty comfortable. Obviously, Jess Jess Stapleton got the goal and she got player of the match as well. She was very she was very good. But I thought even just beside her in midfield, Alex Cavanaugh, I thought it was was very good. Justin Terrence said the amount of interceptions she made. And breaking up counters in the alone half before they were even getting into the Shelbourne half. I thought that went, I thought that was very uh, impressive just how well she read the game and was um, probably, I think accountable for four or five moments where she where she did that just by reading passes and stepping in a couple of yards and doing that. But and obviously it was four free kick as well that led to the fourth goal. So I thought Shelbourne were deserved winners. Um deserve but maybe for that long's point of view they are you can tell that definitely a common team considering where they were only a couple of years ago and where they finished the season before last and then coming runners up and getting to a cup final. So but yeah looking forward I'm looking forward to Tommy Ewitt and Noel King resuming uh, hostilities or maybe not hostilities but that rivalry for next season. Yeah, let's listen to Tommy Hewitt, the Athlone manager. So he's speaking to Tony O'Donoghue who afterwards. The, the first part of this, he's talking about the disallowed, disallowed goal um, for offside, but then he also touches on the, the future for Athlone if they keep this team together. We don't have VAR and lines here, but even if we were to have that, it was very, very close. I, well, I just seen it there, Tony, just before I spoke to you. It's not even close in my eyes. It's a goal. But look, referees give it. Um, but... It's beyond my control, it's beyond my control. What is within your control is how you've brought this Athlone team on yeah. in such a short space of time, really. you finished second in the league, runners up in the cup. Where can you go with this squad? Uh, look, first of all, this, this, this group, are, I'm immensely proud of where they have come to. The sky's the limit for this group. Once we keep them together and add one or two more, I would see, you will see a dominant force in the next five or six years with that group, Tony. All right, that's Athlone Town Manager Tommy Hewitt speaking to Tony O'Donoghue afterwards. Just on that second point, um, Anthony, I mean, this season for Athlone has been a breakthrough one to get to a cup final, also to finish only two points uh, off winning winning the, the league title. I mean, Shelburne pit them um, for that. And I mean, where Athlone have come from, being down in the kind of the middle of the pack, it has been a breakthrough, but... Do they have the tools in place really to to push on and kind of maintain this momentum and stay within that top four? I I think they do. To be fair, like I I asked Tommy Ewood about um as David said there, like Stasman, was there a dangerous a danger of other clubs circling for their players? But that that is part of the game. And uh, you were on the wind up. You were on the wind up. On the wind up. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, like there's. They have some very good young players, and uh, you know you're gonna be. There has been talk of say the likes of Emily Corbett is, is being looked at by uh, maybe some of the some of the more established clubs in the women's national leagues, and maybe even in England as well. So it is a challenge. That's just what happens. But you know, in the before the match, he had spoken about he they really there was a need for a club in the Midlands, and they're attracting players from around that area, other counties around that player, good players. They also have a link up with Athlone IT. So there's a number of the players who are studying and living on that campus. So these are things that really help them. They have a very, very good underage system as well, Raf. And if you keep an eye on the Ireland underage teams, they're well represented in those teams. Noel King spoke afterwards about some of his players. He'd expect more of the Shells players to, to get knocking on the door for Ireland call-ups. 
Athlone are in the same boat. I'm actually surprised that one or two of them weren't on the plane on Monday morning to go to, to Spain with Vera Pau. So uh, they are in a good spot. And, and, you know, if they can keep a hold of that team, uh, as David mentioned there, they are they're a coming team and they are a good side. They're a good side. You know, I think yesterday, I actually thought they played better football yesterday throughout the match, throughout yeah. the whole match. But we're undone by two soft goals, just two soft goals. And when you look at Shells, they'd only conceded 17 goals in the league all season. They brought on Rachel Graham. She's one of our, our most experienced players. And Heather O'Reilly, who won a Women's World Cup. Like That's who they brought on to see the game out. So it's very difficult once you go behind against a team like that. But loads of uh, pluses and positives for them. And uh, if they keep the group together, they'll, they'll be back. No, no doubt, yeah. Yeah, and on that uh, flight to Marbella for this training camp of Vera Pau's Ireland, of course, Jess Stapleton will be will be among them. And uh, they have the friendly against Morocco coming up next Monday. So, Anthony, just on the, you know, they're, they're in that fortunate position now that they can dream about uh, going to the World Cup because it's done and dusted. So this is all part of the stepping stones towards that. Yeah, well, they, they, they don't have many chances either. I think they've only got three camps, three international camps. So all, these are really important camps. Morocco are at the World Cup. They won the pot four teams. Uh, I think they're ranked 78th in the world or something like that. So they're not going to be the strongest test for Ireland. But given that Ireland are, have Nigeria in their group, maybe there's similarities there in, in the style of play. Uh, that's what Vera Powell is looking at there. Um, it's, it's an important match for, for players to put their hands up because it's only a 23-player squad, I think. It's going to be hard to get into that squad. So every single camp, every training camp, every match, really matters for them players. They're not going to get that many opportunities to put their hand up. And on top of that, Vera Pau is getting emails from players who are eligible to play for Ireland who have not previously been involved. Suddenly, she's getting emails and calls, oh, look, you know, I can actually play. So you wouldn't know what could come of, come of that. She did mention that after the draw. You know, if there's, a, if there's a very high-class operator playing in America or in England or somewhere else, and then she thinks, well, if they help us, we'll bring them in. So it's it's hard. It's going to be a hard squad to get into. Big week for those players. As I said, not a huge, not going to get loads of chances to get together. Um, so every meetup counts. And uh, yeah, that game's next Monday, isn't it? So it'll be worth a watch. Worth a watch to see who, who gets a shot and uh, how they all do. Yeah, and from one cup final to another, so the men's FAI Cup final this Sunday coming live on the RT2 and RT Player uh, Sunday, 2.15pm, Derry City against Shelburne. And Keith, um, you know, even thinking back to last season's final between Pats and Bowes, I mean, the, the raucous atmosphere in the Aviva Stadium, it does, unlike in other countries, it still is like our massive showpiece. Yeah, it is. Everybody, like, uh, <clears throat> I've been lucky enough to play in the FAI Cup at uh, various rounds, and it just gets everybody's attention because, you know, every it, it can be anybody that wins it. It's usually one of the big boys, if we're honest, but everybody gets a shot at it, and that's why we want it. It's like the FA Cup in England, like the equivalent. It just has this bit of nostalgia around that people seem to enjoy it, people seem to like it, and... Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a really good showpiece. I'm going to the game, I'll be there, dirty against shells, and you know, for, for all the class that Derry have, Derry, you know, the, the two McElhenney brothers, Michael Duffy as well, some classy, classy operators, but Shelbourne are really, really stubborn. And, and I know they got beat by St. Pat's yesterday, Thornhill, I was at that game also, but that's not the shells that will turn up against Derry. You know, Damien Duff will crack the whip, crack the whip during the week. He'll get them organised. That 
three centre halves with the two wing backs. I, I always say it as a player, I played against that system. It, it's horrible. It really is horrible. So when Derry get a sniff of being able to to play through the towards, they have to do it quickly, and the passing has to be accurate and it has to be quick. Or Shelbourne will just retreat back into a unit, and he will not be able to break them down. So, but the one thing is, you know, with, with Jack Moyle and Sean Boyd, they both they both started the game last night, but both got taken off because. Damien obviously doesn't want them getting yellow card and a bit of needle started creeping into the game last night. But like I said, I think Shells will go there and they will throw a few punches, although they will be defensively very, very sound. They will try and win the game, which is, you know, something to be admired really because they are going up against a really strong outfit. And Derry, I expect it. I, I think we, should, we could see extra time and penalties in this. Yeah, it seems to happen a lot in this. <laughs> in these it's it's always actually. <laughs> yeah, but uh, David, I suppose as uh, as Keith said there, I mean, there's a slight novelty factor with this final um, between a Derry City and a Shelburne who haven't won it for a long time. So, how do you think it feeds into the occasion and the atmosphere? I suppose it can be two ways. Where like, will there be an extra nervousness around it, or will there just be a case that because both clubs haven't won it for a while? And although fairness, both have been in finals in the Aviva in recent years as well, and Derry have won it as well under obviously um Rudy Higgins. Oh, not Rudy Higgins, sorry. Oh my god, uh, Declan Devine, excuse me, um, when they beat St. Pat's. So I don't know, I kind of I'm kind of expecting it to be one of those where for like for Derry seat, you're kind of thinking they have to go, not that there's an extra pressure, because like there's pressure on both teams in a cup final, but you're expecting we're kind of expecting Derry to be the ones now to go and put it up to Rovers in the next couple of years. So Will it be viewed that this is their chance to win a bit of silverware for a, a squad that's building to act as a catalyst? That's the kind of cliche that's always given about teams when they're when they're coming through to try and challenge. And when you see the finance that's that's behind them now as well, that's what Rudy Higgins is kind of expected to do. Um, and then for for Shelbourne, kind of like what what Keith was saying earlier about like that wasn't the Shelbourne to turn up against Pats and what what Damien Duff how he like did. You speak to any of their players and the level of intensity that he's brought to train and even where just listening to players and talking to players, stuff where like sloppiness isn't tolerated in training, where like lads who've been signed there and maybe at previous clubs, if you had if you had like a brutal training session, it was almost forgiven. It wasn't really a big thing. Whereas they've tried to maintain standards so high and it's relentless. That's what they're talking about. And <clears throat> excuse me, I mean, somebody you listen to, well, you talk to players and you, you listen to them on and off the record about it. And it's like, the players who thrive off are the ones who are happy. The ones who aren't are the ones who you probably won't be seeing too much of because they just can't deal with that level of what's expected of them from, say, Duff and Joey O'Brien and obviously Alan Quinn in there too. So I'm kind of... I think what he said, it's one of those where it always seems to go to extra time. It always seems to maybe go, end up going to, going to penalties. But I just... I can see it being a bit of a war of attrition. I really can. And not so much only because, like, that's what Shelbourne will turn it into. Like you've seen some of the games this year, they have been tight. I don't think, like, I remember seeing them at the, towards the start of the season, maybe a couple of months in at, at Talca Park and Brandon Cavanagh scored a lovely, a lovely goal for Derry to, to win at Talca Park, but there was nothing between between the teams that evening. And even they played it recently as well and it was the same, it was a draw. So I kind of, I'm, I'm hoping for the game, but it's it's hope more than expect. I'm hoping for a really, really good game, but it's more hope than expectation. But to be honest, I do expect it to be one where it's going to have to be ground out, you know. 
And Keith, how much do you read into Derry City's dip in form um, since the league got away from them? I mean, you're looking at their recent run of games. I mean, there was the defeat to Sham- um, Shamrock Rovers. They lost to Dundalk there yesterday as well. And then also the blow of uh, Sadu Giallo, who is, uh, I have to add, no relation to me either, <laughs> um, being suspended after getting sent off against uh, against the Lily Whites there yesterday. But how much do you read into both of those factors, the form and then also um, what has been a fairly impressive player in recent uh, in recent weeks actually being um, absent for it. Yeah, I, I do. To go to the Diallo one, you know, in hindsight, it's a wonderful thing. You know, Rory be thinking, I shouldn't have played him. I should have just saved him for the cup. He he would have thought he could trust him. He gets a straight red. He misses the cup final. Very, very silly. But in the heat of the moment, players do these things. You, you can't play a game thinking about the game to come. It's just not the way you're wired, you know. I've done things like this before myself. I, I remember getting a red card against West Ham when I trampled on somebody. They, they went around the goalkeeper, the two yards out, about to tap it into the back of the net in the 96th minute. And I stood on his Achilles to make sure he didn't score the goal. And I got a straight red and I missed the next three championship games. In hindsight, I shouldn't have done it. I should have played the long game. But in the heat of the moment, you don't think of these things. So... I do have a, a little bit of sympathy for Diallo. However, I do think Derry, Derry will be weakened by it, so Shelbourne will be rubbing their hands together. But do we, do we read into the, the dip in form? Not, not so ever. Since they've come out with the, the chase for the league, I think it's the most natural thing in the world. You know, Even when you look at, obviously, the World Cup is happening soon and you see, you see players in the Premier League are coming off the boil because they know the World Cup is there. They're afraid to go thundering into tackles because they might get injured. They're not chasing those balls into the channels the 70 30 balls that they're just not doing it anymore because they don't want to put the extra strain on the hamstring. Everything is it's sort of in a comfort zone now. And I think that's what Derry are. We've seen that's what Shelbourne were definitely in a comfort zone last night. So I think that both sort of being wrapped up in cotton wool, but being thrown out on the pitch, if that makes any sense. So I expect them both to be geared enough for, for Sunday. And I expect it to be a really good game, but I, I, I really don't. Uh, like we look back six, maybe seven weeks ago. The title race was over. It was dead and dusted, and Derry done well to, to revive it and get us all a little bit back interested. And then obviously, you know, Rovers just had enough to, to get it easily done enough. But I think Derry have been really good. Just too many draws, and I, I'm looking forward to seeing how the final pans out. Yeah, sympathy for Diallo. That sounds like a tagline. If I'm running for office or something, I might, <laughs> <laughs> I might use it. Um, but uh, just on the tactical battle, because obviously Derry plays sort of this four-two-three-one, and then Shelburne have really established this back three. Keith, um, where are the spaces on the pitch? Where's what are the key matchups and in, in terms of either side getting on top? Well, I think the key battle will be the wingbacks uh, for Shelbourne. If uh, it'll be John Ross Wilson, and uh, maybe I'm not sure he'll play left back for uh, left wing back for Shelbourne, but it'll all be about how adventurous Shelbourne want to be. If they want to play a flat back five, they're going to invite an awful lot of pressure. And with the flat back five, they give up an awful lot of spaces on the wing, so you can get the ball out wide and cross it really early. A little bit like the De Bruyne position, he'll always in that position, and he's trying to get it behind the back five for for uh, Haaland. You leave yourself open to that if you're going to play a flat back five. If the two wing backs come up the pitch a little bit, a little like 10, 15 yards maybe, to maybe come into midfield to be a little bit more attacking, that's when the spaces come down the side of the, of the three centre halves. And you just keep chipping balls in there. You keep getting them running towards their own goal. And eventually they'll stop running forward because they'll, they'll just get a pain. I'm, I'm, I'm always running back. I'll start back now from now on. And that's when it will appear again. Uh, just, keep, just keep appearing. 
So for me, I think Shelbourne, they'll feel their way into the game. They will start with a flat back five. I don't think they'll be too adventurous. I think they'll just try and nullify Derry. And it could even come down to a game of set pieces. You know, this could be over-analyzed tactically, but, you know, we've seen with the women's final, these things can often come down to just set pieces. And Shelbourne do generally defend set pieces well. We've seen uh, Daniel Lafferty's header against Shell, uh, Shamrock Rovers to get them into the final as well. So, you know, I think it would be a really, really close game. There's an awful lot of talent on the pitch and it could come down to, you know, something like a set piece. Yeah, and we talked about... And because it's a big pitch as well, that's another thing. The fact that it's such a big pitch, like, even with Shells up front, like, if if Jack Moynihan, Jack Moynihan, you would assume, was going to be up there in the round Sean Boyd, if if Shells can't keep hold of the ball and it keeps on coming back, it's just going to be a long day for them. It really will, because they're not going to be able to... Just, they're going to have to make make sure things stick up there too. And that's even that the fact that it's something that's kind of been touched on by a few of the players and even just from speaking to them over the last little while, the fact that because it is a big pitch and what Keith was saying there about feeling the way into the game, I'd be very surprised if they're going to be leaving themselves exposed early on. It will be very much a case, like, like any cup final, a bit cagey at the start, but the fact as well that like, there's been some games I've been at where maybe stuff hasn't maybe stuck as well as it should have We're up up top and the ball can bounce, get back. I don't think Shell's going to afford that stuff. They'll need a big game for Sean Boyd as well, I would say. Yeah, and Anthony, just uh, I suppose a final point before we uh, touch on the first division playoff. Um, we've talked a lot about what silverware would mean for Derry City on the trajectory they're on with the finances that they have. They're going to be pushing on regardless. For Shelburne, um, obviously, if they were to win the cup, they, they qualify for Europe and uh, that will be quite lucrative in and of itself. And the other Dublin clubs behind Shamrock Rovers, Bowes and St. Pat's would then be uh, kind of reduced to just playing um, league matches. So how do you think it affects the balance of power, I suppose, within that within that quartet of Dublin clubs if Shells were to go on and win it and also get uh, a European place that might not have been expected at the start of the season? Uh, I, I think it's very very hard to say how it would affect any balance of power because Shells could get into Europe and they could go in the first round. You know, like it's, it's maybe a big jump for them, it'd be very difficult for them. But for them, it would be obviously it would be a massive thing for Shelburne as a club. You know, they, from where they've come from in the last couple of years, Damien Duff after the semi final said it was the biggest achievement of his career to, to get to a cup final. I mean, you think of the career that he's had. Now, maybe you know he's caught up on the emotion and everything, but he, he really this means a lot to him. Um, they also have you know there's nice unity between the men's and women's teams. They could they could become the first club since Cork to, to win both cups, the men's and women's cups in the same year. Cork did it in 2017. Um, and they're going to have brilliant support. So it's always a great day. It's It's got the makings of, you can actually see the crowd for this cup final. It's just going to be red, red flares, red smoke everywhere. Two clubs that are, you know, it's been a while for, for either of them to, to win this competition, partic- particularly Shelbourne. Um, and... I'm really looking forward to it. As the lad said there, it is difficult to know how the game is going to play out. Sometimes they can get bogged down. Uh, hopefully, we, we get a good one and it's nice and open and uh, you know it's not a nil-nil that goes all the way to penalties. But um, look, once, once you once this sort of occasion, it, it's a special occasion for players who don't get to taste something like this very often in their whole careers. You know, If they're lucky, they'll get a day like this. And I think... You know, once once the day comes around and it gets closer to it, that kind of hits everybody as well. But what would be interesting is that Derry have players who've done it, the, the ex-Dundalk lads and that. They've done it. They know what this is all about. Shelburne have Damien Duff in their dressing room. So, you know, that would be interesting when it comes down to who handles the occasion. 
the best. But it's it's a big day for them, and it would be a massive deal for whoever wins it. But in terms of like, will this actually, you know, signify a swing of power for Shelburne, and, and they go on to be like someone that challenges Shamrock Rovers over the next four or five years, like off the back of winning the cup, I I, I wouldn't really see that to be honest with you, Rat. Yeah, and what it definitely is a massive deal is the first division playoff. Um, we're going to be seeing. Well, that was uh, of course Waterford. Um, Waterford beating Galway United three uh, nil uh, last Friday, and then they're going to be playing UCD in the promotion relegation playoff this Friday. And Keith, just looking at this game between Waterford and Galway um, at Markets Field, it. While the result reads 3-0, it didn't necessarily feel like a 3-0 in terms of the balance of play. And also a lot of, a couple of the goals were definitely self-inflicted from a Galway point of view. Yeah, it was uh, I was really disappointed in Galway, if I'm honest. I uh the certain, you know, when when you come into these games as a you know, you put yourself in, into a Galway player's, you know, uh, vein of thinking. Waterford have an, a, an awful lot of attacking ability on the pitch. We all we all know how good they are with Quintara. Patterson, they can rip you apart really, really easily. But it, I felt like Waterford didn't have to work hard. They, you know, they were really gifted the goals drafting. That's not something you know John Caulfield would be happy with. And even even going forward, I, I didn't feel like they, they they put some balls into the box. Some of them had quality on them. Some of them were just aimless and hopeful. But Waterford dealt with it, and you know, I think Waterford will be looking at it thinking, you know, we didn't reach anywhere near the heights we could have gone forward. We didn't defend particularly well although we were resilient you know we didn't have to do, overextend ourselves so yeah it, like Waterford didn't have to play well won the game on a canter and I have to be I have to be honest I, I tipped UCD to, to get into the, the, the playoff battle I, I think Waterford will beat them I really do and not not to the point that I think it would be a massive upset if UCD beat Waterford I, I would tip Waterford on the, on the attacking balance but UCD just seemed to have that resilience and there's been times you know, to go up to Bally Buffet and win that game up there, that was outstanding. So, you know, to, to go across the Inchicore to beat Waterford, it's not beyond the realms of possibility, but I just think Waterford are a bit too slick up front. I think they're really, really good. And some of the some of the older heads in, in the Waterford uh, dressing room is really good. Eddie Nolan is still there, Alex Baptiste. These are, these are players that have been around in England as well that just know the league, know how to play football. So these types of occasions won't phase them and they'll be filtering that down to the young lads. So I expect Waterford to, to win the game, but by no means easily. Yeah, so UCD and Waterford to come this Friday and the winner of that will be playing Premier Division football in 2023. Uh, David, one other um, bit of news in the first division actually is Ian Ryan um, stepping away from Wexford and the, the the club put out a statement. The club had been well advanced in its plans to put together a squad made up of the core of last season with a number of new additions so that we could mount a serious challenge for promotion in 2023. Despite this setback, this remains the plan and the process to appoint a new manager with the ambition and potential to deliver this and this will begin straight away it's a blow for Wexford but he has left them in a great place yeah it's, it, it's a blow but it's probably one that they were expecting to happen a couple of weeks ago because they think he was pretty much going to be getting the Bowes job and then between one thing or another and how that process was handled the same as if maybe he was going to pull out of it as well I think that was pretty much a done deal by all, by all accounts so um, it's an interesting one because like, yeah you wonder like He's put them in. He's left them in a good place by maybe having the core of a squad there, and maybe you would think a manager coming in. Well, how did the club approach that? Like, do they say, "Well, do you know what?" They say to a manager, "Well, this is the squad you're going to be pretty much having. Go and deal with it." Or do they say if they do they if they settle on a certain candidate, will they say, "Well, do you know what? You can already rip things up a little bit and change it." So 
they kind of have to, the fact that they've kind of said that they, they're going to be sticking with the squad kind of team, you have to find a manager and who's happy with that. So listen, you can, it's a small industry in Ireland in terms of jobs. I don't think it'll be a struggle to find someone who wants to get in and, and, and have a crack at the and have a crack at the job. So um, and then it's just going to be interesting as well where, where Ryan will uh, will end up because it's clearly well well thought of. Um, so you would think he would have something sorted, you know. Yeah, um, we'll see how that situation pans out both for the club and also for Ian Ryan himself. But uh, we're gonna um, we did task both of you with uh, picking your LOI team of the year and player of the year. We might start on player of the year, Keith, uh, for the Premier Division. Uh, who's your choice? Well, I tried to look past the obvious, but I I couldn't look past Rory Gaffney. If I'm honest, he has been outstanding. Uh, Ten goals, eight assists, and even in Europe, I know like. The, the performances were largely okay in Europe, but him in particular, at certain times, he was the lone ranger. Balls were getting pumped up to him. He was doing some selfless running. And when you think of Rory Gaffney, he's walk rate, he's hold-up play. And with 10 goals is a great return, but to get eight assists as well just tells you what, t- what type of striker he is. He's not one of these that won't be in the game for 80 minutes, but then he'll hit the back of the net and you know that's all you get from him. You get walk rate. You, you get, he's, he's the whole package and he doesn't give... Even if he doesn't score, he can still have a good game. And that, that's a great sign of a centre-forward. And I think he's been excellent. I've really enjoyed watching him play. And he, he has that little bit of class, you know. I use that word walk rate, but that's by no means he's, by no means his best attribute. He's technically a very efficient footballer as well. Yeah, and uh, David, there are, uh, like, obviously Rory Gaffney is a very, very strong candidate for it. There's the likes of Cameron Dummigan as well, Alan Manis, Joe Redman, Aidan Keena. There's a, there's some players who've had brilliant seasons over the campaign. Um, are you going with a different choice or uh, is Rory Gaffney also the standout for you? No, no, I, um, I'd like to say great minds think alike, but I'll just say, no, I have to agree with Keith. I just, I'll, I'll be honest, I've been totally... Not just totally surprised by the manner of how Wally Gaffney has developed even at this stage of his career in terms of look, I remember I remember he when he was at Salford, Salford City a few years ago, going over to visit him in a coffee shop in uh, Altrincham, just outside Manchester. And I remember talking to him and I wouldn't say he seemed lost, but like he was talking about, you know, like basically after training, he basically just spend his day trying to do stuff to fill his day and killing killing the day was a phrase he used. It just looked as if he was getting through and plodding along really and that kind of I don't know that grind of maybe that the lower league football in England where I just thought I came away from that thinking this is a, a smashing fella but it just seemed as if it was like he'd been over there a couple of years at that point a good few years after he'd been at Limerick and left the league and it just felt as if he was kind of getting worn down by it and he's been totally revitalised I think over the last number, couple of years since coming back to Rovers and like what Keith says he just seems to have that mix of Graft, like he's that fella you can trust up front. I mentioned earlier with the cup final and say Sean Boyd, like Sean Boyd should be looking at Rory Gaffney and saying, These are the elements of how we are to, to play that position and lead the line because he just does just, just so well. And even little things like, and I don't know, it's just because maybe I, I missed covering him is the start of his career when he, when he would have broken through a little bit, but how he runs with the ball and is. Ability, he has this great ability to be able to run with it and just stop and slow down and pick a pass and not kind of sometimes you see lads running with the ball and they lose their focus. But um, I just think he really has been exceptional this season. And he not that he had a dip, I think it was a period maybe a couple of months ago where he was almost if he was giving himself a bit of a rest in some games because Rovers were so far ahead in the league. But he got his goal in Europe, which was great for him, a great finish at the back post. But yeah, no, I just 
for an all-round impact in, a, in that position and, and how he's done it, I just don't think you can look past him, to be honest. Yeah, and now for the team of the year, Keith, um, just your goalkeeper and your back four and maybe a reason for, for each of your choices. I, when I got the email saying team of the year, I, I thought you actually meant team of the year. So I, I pushed Shelburne. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so Luke, Luke Bourne said that back, okay. I think who else <laughs> Well, let's yeah, let's work our way through it anyway. I think Alan Mallis probably might be the obvious choice, but there is there anybody else maybe in goal who you feel has been uh, has been better? No, I, I would go with Manus. I wouldn't be too. I wouldn't begrudge Manus. I think he has been excellent, but I'm not just going to keep uh, throwing Shelbourne players in. But Brendan Clark has really impressed me. I know uh, time catches up with everybody, but he he's been excellent. Some of the some of the saves he's pulled off at times have been really really good. His distribution from the back has been excellent. So. A shout out to Brendan Clark, but now I would go with McManus, yeah. Yeah, and uh, in terms of right backs during the season, or full backs, right and left, who's impressed you most? You will throw Dummigan. I, I was going to go with Dummigan. I'm, gonna, like, I'm not just saying, also, like I know, obviously, like Keith will just go with Shells after they're his local team as well. Like, you know what I mean? Let's be honest. But um, like, I, I was going to go for a three to back back and use wing backs just because I think it has been a very productive system for, for a lot of teams this season. But I... I had Dummigan, I'd have Dummigan as my right wing back, just also because partly in my head I'm thinking if this was a team, remember there was that brief, there was that brief kind of um, plan where the FAI wanted to have a Premier League club come over and play a League of Ireland 11. So I kind of was thinking, well, what would be the team that I would want to play in that? And uh, I would say Dummigan as a right wing back because you could play him anywhere and across. You could play him on the left, you could play him midfield if you needed. So I'd have Dummigan right wing back and then I'd, I'd throw in Andy Lyons as my left wing back. Yeah, and in terms of the, if we're going with this formation, then um, the centre back trio, I would imagine Joe Redmond's going to be in there, Keith. Yeah, well, that, that, I have Redmond down. He, he's the one I've, I've looked at him very, very closely this season. He, he's been excellent. And one of the things, you think, when, you, when you start finding your feet in the league, and the Irish league is a very, very physical league, he, he he's fine with it. He's absolutely fine. He, he actually enjoys the physical battle. You see him, you know, smiling when, he, when the physical battle is happening. Very, very good last night as well against Shells. Dealt with two very classy operators. And I've seen him play for the 21s as well, the two games against Israel. Looked really good. And, you know, if he keeps going from strength to strength like that, he could find himself uh, over the water really, really easy. St. Pat's fans won't want to hear that, but he's shown all the right signs and he, he seems to have all the tools at his disposal. There's a couple of things that need to be polished, but really, really enjoying what I'm seeing from Joe Redmond, yeah. Yeah, and for let's say the 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 two centre backs that would be flanking him, who would be the standout candidates? I went on the right side. I went for Connolly, and on the left side, just because he plays all the time, and just to get that balance going for the grace. So I just think like that whole back three, and also in my team, I had Redmond as the kind of the centre of it, just because I just think for someone who's come back from England, could have easily took him a while to get his head around being playing back in the League of Ireland. You know, sometimes players at that age. He's coming back in from Birmingham. Maybe he could come back in the league and he could struggle, but he's just gone from strength to strength as the league has gone on, got made captain, got into the 21s, and then Connolly between playing for between playing for obviously for Dundalk and then going to Derry. I just think he's been really, really good. Kind of at the opposite end, you know, it's kind of the perfect balance in terms of age. You've got a kind of a more experienced operator like Connolly, Redmond, a bit younger, who can maybe could learn, and then Lee Grace, who despite the fact that he's not left footed. Just, I just do think he's just, I don't think, I think he's just always a seven out of 10. Sometimes you can't, he's not, I don't think he's maybe spectacular at a lot of things, but I just think he's just always a seven out of 10 solid. You can trust him and he knows that position inside out. So I just think uh, that would be the, that would be the, um, the defence I would go for. 
yeah any other additions to that keith no, I would I'd back that up, yeah. I'd be happy with I'm trying I'm trying to fill this all in as well going by the way, but <laughs> no, I'm, I'm happy enough. Yeah, and uh David, in terms of your midfield then if we're going with that formation. We've gone for two, wouldn't say sitters, although Gary O'Neill would be one of the who you would expect maybe sit, and then also Adam O'Reilly in beside him. And I kind of th- thinking as my two for them, and then Will Patching maybe on front two. I'd let him be a bit of a cheater. He wouldn't have to do so many defensive responsibilities because I just think O'Neill just covers so much ground by being smart and reading the game. And then Adam O'Reilly is just absolute. I've seen him play. He's just he's like a little Tasmanian devil the way he gets around the pitch. You know what I mean? But maybe like what Keith was saying, maybe about Joe Redmond about sometimes he might stuff that can be polished. I think there will be that element with him. But I just think he just brings so much energy and we'll comp- those two will complement each other. And as the season has been gone on, I just think he's been very impressive. Yeah, and your midfield as well, Keith, in terms of the candidates that you would feel are deserving of a place in a team of the year. Yeah, well, I really enjoy Michael Duffy at thirty. I know he's been, I know he's been injured an awful, awful lot, but you know. He, he, do, he doesn't deserve to get in it because he hasn't been in it but, uh, for long enough in the season, but his performances when he has been in has been outstanding. And Adam O'Reilly at, at Pats has been excellent. And the Tasmanian devil, he, that's exactly what he is. But you need, in these are in, in games where you need to win the battle, you need to win second balls, you need people just buzzing around. That's exactly what Adam O'Reilly is. And you've seen when he gets the last minute goal against Dundalk, he's in his own 18-yard box defending in the 90-odd minute. And he still has the energy to get up to the other the other 18 yard box and put it in the back of the net. Sometimes you need players that just do selfless running, that you know it's not all about the glory, it's just a selfless running. He gets his reward on on that occasion, but there's been many, many times where he just does selfless running and selfless tackling. And he's one of them players that you don't really miss him until he's out of the team. And I, I would agree with, with Adam O'Reilly, definitely, yeah. Get him in there. Yeah, and David, uh, further forward, obviously Rory Gaffney, given he's uh, the choice, the the unanimous choice for Player of the mm. Year, he's definitely in there. But who else uh, would be uh, would be flanking him up there? Yeah, so see, it's a strange one because with, with, with Gaffney, sometimes you think sometimes if a player is so good playing by himself, if he has a partner, would that maybe be the, to the detriment of 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 him? Because you know what I mean, they won't go into the the same spaces and, and all the rest of it. And, so, but he can't ignore Keane because top scorer. I know he's got a few penalties that are in there, but I just think, I just think he's kind of done really well for for Sligo, and maybe it's the one thing that Gaffney hasn't got. Even though I think this is his career highest in terms of, I think he's got fifteen or sixteen goals in all competitions, which is the highest he's ever had. I just think maybe that's the one thing in that fox in the box type type player that maybe it'll, he might not quite be, and you, you can see him having that partnership with. With Keane, so yeah, I'd go for Keane up there with him. So that would be mine anyway. It's kind of like uh, I'm kind of looking at it here. You know, I don't like to get bogged down by formations. Like things to be fluid. You know, it's the modern game, isn't it? Suppose, isn't it? Where like people yeah. going all over the show. So, but I suppose it's kind of like a like a three a three four one two type. Three four one two. Okay, fair enough. And that Keith, makes sense. That adds up, doesn't it? Does that add up? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah that. Yeah. That. Yeah. That does make sense. And Keith, oh, yeah. uh, outside of uh, outside of Gaffney, um, is it Aidan Keena, or there, is there any other any other forwards that have uh, caught your eye over the season? Uh, yeah. Well, J- Jack Boylan has been good at, uh, at Shelbourne. Sean Boyd's been really good at Shelbourne. I, I've enjoyed Keena. He's been really good, and you can't take away from him when he, the stats behind Keena has been really good and. To, to be that efficient in front of goal when she, uh, when Sligo don't make a whole host of opportunities every game they they are getting better they're improving I think they'll be stronger again next season under Johnny Russell but he has to be efficient because he doesn't get that many chances and 
for such a young lad, he's got a cool, cool head on his shoulders. And yeah, to get Keane in there, up there with Gaffney, yeah, I think Gaffney has work great. Keane has the, a bit of class, as as does Gaffney. I wouldn't take that away from Gaffney. Does has class, but if Keane could up his work rate to Gaffney's, I think you've a team there that scores an awful lot of goals and just causes problems. Yeah, and before we go, um, Keith, obviously Arsenal's uh, great form is uh, going to be keeping you happy, especially if they can uh, stay top ahead of the uh, start of the World Cup when the break happens. But how impressed were you with the way they dealt with that challenge? Because Chelsea is a team over the years, maybe not in the last couple of seasons, but prior to that was always a, was always an away trip that was difficult for, for Arsenal. They always seem to have their number, but the way they managed that game was very impressive. Yeah, like you said, Raf, it's it really is. When I remember, I was I watched the game before before they set off to the women's final, and when Jesus the ball came in and Jesus missed the head, I think Martinelli crossed, and I thought Wendy missed that chance. I thought there's going to be a sting here. Chelsea will come back and haunt them, but they they never let Chelsea grow into the game. It was I wouldn't say total dominance because Chelsea huffed and puffed, but largely Arsenal were absolutely excellent and going forward it's so hard not to like them with, with Saka and Martinelli Odegaard looks outstanding Jesus we, we talk about Gaffney's work rate Jesus's work rate for the Brazilian international with the amount of talent he has them talent and work rate don't usually add up but with Jesus it does and they, they've been absolutely excellent and, and even even uh, the, the Swiss centre midfielder Shaka in the middle He's a different player, you know. I, I was calling for him to go out. I wanted uh, Yuri Tillemans at Leicester to come in and to come in and change him, but I wouldn't take Tillemans now. Shaq has been absolutely outstanding, and I know Zinchenko only came in. He, he played, you know, didn't do great, but to have Zinchenko looking in the background as well is going to come in. He can play left back. He can play as one of the hole and three. Thomas Partey has been excellent, and even even some of the decisions that I I weren't I wasn't sure about when he moved Ben White out to right back. I thought, nah, that, that that's not for me. But he's been outstanding. He's been really, really good. He's matching people for pace. He's been aggressive in his pressing. It's it's all starting to add up, Raf. They're starting to look the real deal. I'm, I'm starting to believe I'm not totally, totally on board. And, and that that's largely down to how good Manchester City are, I have to say. And I do I I, I thought Arsenal would struggle to get Champions League. I'm bang on board with them getting Champions League this season. If they can somehow keep the course and finish second I think that that'll be an outstanding season for Arsenal Yeah I think the only thing that Jack had blotted his copybook with was straight after the game then when uh, he decided after all these years in England he didn't realise you're not allowed to swear on TV but uh, there you go um, I'm not going to repeat the word he said but <laughs> saying, Raph, do you know what I, uh, what I really enjoy about that Arsenal performance and it was just a, such a small thing but I just think it, it shows the difference I think with Zaka I remember in the first half Zaka got fouled by Cucurella and it was a clear foul and like I think the bench were going mad for it or whatever and nothing was given he was basically the ref just waved away and like two seconds later like Saka just comes in and like lays one on Cucurella and gets a yellow card and I like not that it was petulant but it was like he just had that bit of anger in him a bit, bit of bite like that, you always associate Arsenal where something that would happen previously and they shrugged their shoulders a little bit and they just get on and they you just felt that could be a moment where Chelsea would have maybe just kicked on in a game but like what Keith was saying like Arsenal just stayed on them totally and never let them get in and that's what's changed with this Arsenal team under under Arteta and you could have got a glimpse of it with that documentary the the Amazon one where you see how he how he operates and like it just shows you like he just <clears throat> kind of doing now you remember when he first came in as an Arsenal manager and like, you'd see all the stuff on social media and he'd be getting slagged because there was poor results and all the rest of it and like 
you just if you it's clear that like when that board stood behind them and obviously Edu stood behind them and stuff and just shows you when you have that backing and the trust that it, it will it can come together and like I just think he's doing a really really impressive job like he was linked was it was he linked to Barcelona recently as well because maybe things aren't going great for for Xavi but um I just think really like, it does strike me it reminds me a little bit of the Leicester season when people said oh, no no he can't Leicester will fall away Leicester will fall away he can't do it he can't do it and each test and each time they kept on going and remember that remember that game when Leicester went to City and won I think it was like three 0 I think it was and remember where they yeah. scored and few and everyone agreed did a real deal. And maybe that Chelsea one's maybe still a bit early, but I just think I don't think you can question now that this Arsenal team and the manager are are the real deal. It's just whether that maybe as a group maybe have that experience and maybe the strength and depth can match City because the season goes on, especially after the World Cup. That could uh, that could be the only team that could be to their detriment. Yeah, there's care about cup games uh, um, uh, midweek, obviously, and then the final <laughs> round of matches. And then uh, one week later uh, on Sunday, the 20th, then the, the World Cup itself kicks off. So I was at the uh, RTE coverage launch last week. Now we're going to have all the games live on RT2, RT Player, and some of them also on the RT News channel. Uh, Shea Given will be among the uh, among the panellists across the tournament. And one of the things he talked to me about after and during the launch was just how this glut of games and the timing of the World Cup, what uh, impact it's going to have on the quality of the football. From memory, memory's not good, but uh, I think naturally because major tournaments, there was always that break. There was always like a, a pre-tournament camp. There was always, you know, friendlies put in there, you know, a real preparation for a major finals. And that's the strange thing about this World Cup. There's no, you know, straight from the Premier League or whatever league you're playing. And then you're going, you know, a week later, you're playing in the first game, you know, it's, it's that's a tough thing for the players and I suppose managers as well. Normally they'd have at least one game. Maybe a couple of nations have got a game, but you know, it's crammed in, you know, there's not much preparation time. Um, but Anya made a good point on stage there about, you know, a lot of the players will be in peak fitness. You know, sometimes the tournaments, World Cups are at the end of a long, hard, grueling season, you know. So all players are really at peak peak fitness and and, and, and going into a World Cup fresh as well, you would think. So um I think that bodes for good football. All right, that's Shea Given speaking to me at the RT launch of our World Cup coverage. And you can check out the details in terms of uh, coverage details and where you can follow the tournament on rt.ie slash sport. Just go to the World Cup 2022 section. So before we go, I might just get all your picks for the World Cup, given it's only a couple of weeks away. Obviously, the squads might change as well because the amount of games, the amount of injuries. Um, I might start with you, Anthony, just in terms of at this moment in time, what your uh, pick for the winner will be? Yeah, it's <clears throat> just, just to wrap it up. Just to wrap back on Arsenal briefly. Wrap like when you look back at Leicester, the lads were chatting about Leicester and that feeling of maybe something's happening here. Leicester won the league with 80, 81 points, and that was ten points clear of the second place teams. So this is what Guardiola City have done to the league. You know, you finish with eighty one points, you're probably going to be 12, 13 points, fourteen points off. Them. So Arsenal have to be perfect just to get close. You know, Liverpool, it's happened Liverpool a couple of years. And that means that they're going to be watching this World Cup very, very anxiously, like like all the clubs. Now, I think there's been noises that they're going to invest again in, in January. Arsenal are, are looking to invest again to try and kick on again. But um, there's, 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 a, there's, a, there's a large element of luck with all of these tournaments. And now coming in in the middle of the season, it's, it's another factor to it. Like I... It's a fairly boring pick for me. I, I think Brazil. I think Brazil have a really good chance because it's not just that they're, they're always they also have loads of quality and you think of Brazil, lots of attacking quality, but they're actually a very well balanced team. Uh, they don't give up many goals. A lot of clean sheets the last couple of years. 
Um, and then the other team, and this is sort of heart overhead probably, but I, I would love to see Messi win a World Cup. Uh, and I think Argentina are in pretty good shape. So I think, going to the head, Brazil, but uh, I'd, I'd love to see Argentina win it. And David Snade. Well, clear. we're going to just, like, I, it's one of them where it's totally trauming because it is this time of, time of, time of the year um, for it. Like, I don't know, but like, like what Anthony was saying, obviously Brazil, it's maybe not that it's boring to say because like, it's Brazil, but like you look at their like, attacking talent as well, but also the midfield, it's a bloody deal seem to have a bit of a balance. Argentina do as well, like they're not in a serious unbeaten, unbeaten run, but I know we're reading something about that as well, the fact that because of the Nations League, that's, that's happening. Yeah, they, don't, they, they, they don't haven't get, played any European teams really. They haven't any, played, or, yeah. yeah, so there's that kind of a strange element to it. Um, like, Belgium, is that... You know, Shea Given went for Belgium as well, oddly enough. Like, I, like I know it's because it's one of them where the whole thing where, the whole point where like, they talk about oh, their golden generation maybe has passed a little bit, but like De Bruyne is in serious form and if he doesn't get injured, like he could eat very easily be the player of the tournament. Um, and yeah, like I don't know. I think Belgium, I don't think they're, I don't think they're hundred percent past it. I really don't as a bit of an outsider. So hopefully I've mentioned enough teams there whereby at the end of this, I, I couldn't have uh, stumbled across the, uh, the right one. And Keith, Keith, Keith you, you get the final say here now um, in terms of your pick for the winner. As, as it stands, obviously, hopefully all players uh, make it to the tournament in terms of fitness. Uh, I have to be honest with you, Raph. I'm, I'm a little bit terrified that it could be England. I think this is oh. this is the best chance. It's the best chance. With, with it being in November, they're always complaining. We have to wait a month before it kicks off. Our players, we don't know what to do. Now they're complaining it's coming too fast, but... <laughs> As it, I know they're missing an awful lot of right-backs, but they've got an abundance of talent there. I think, oh, I, I really do. I, I, I'm finding it hard to talk myself out of England, but I'm, I'm not going to settle in England because I just think France, France are, they have that pedigree. I think Mbappe is just lightning quick. And the, the one thing that you can't defend against is pace. You've seen with Haaland in the Premier League. It doesn't matter how deep you drop. It's just a five little dart here or there. And the pace, it's undefendable. I think Belgium, I don't I don't fancy their defence with Aldevere, Elder Yang Vatong in there. I just think they get found out a bit. But yeah, I, I would I would echo a leader be Brazil, Argentina, France, England, and the Germans are always in and amongst it as well. So you can't you can't rule out the Germans, but you know, just I will go for England just to just to get a couple of people backs up. And I don't think I'll be far wrong if I'm honest. Would you bring Madison? I wouldn't, and I, I don't think I don't think Gareth Southgate would either. Just because he likes the wing backs, I'm not sure which formation he'll play because of the right back situation. But if he plays the three centre mid, uh, the three centre has with the two wing backs, I don't think there's a space for Madison. And who who are you going to take out? Bellingham, Foden, Saka, Harry Kane. None of them are missing out. You know, he might go, he might be on the bench, but for me, you know, he might be a bit part player. But he's, he, I love him as a player. But with that, with the Amount of talent that English team have, I just and with Gareth Southgate liking the five at the back, I think there's just no space for him. 
Yeah, it's going to be 26-man squads anyway, so it's not as uh, tight as the last World Cup. Same squad sizes as uh, the last Euros, so um, there might he might sneak in, but we'll see. But anyway, off the pitch as well, of course, um, in terms of Qatar and their hosting of the World Cup, uh, it is paramount what's happening off the pitch. And this week, Declan Woolley has written a piece called Qatar Washing Green Linen in Public. What that piece does, though, it looks into Qatar or the Qatari authorities' claims of a carbon-neutral World Cup. You can find that on rt.ie slash sport in the World Cup 2022 section or um, if, there, if you're watching this on YouTube just go to the description box at the bottom of this video and you'll find it there but that's it for this week um, we have had a prediction that England could win the World Cup I'm going to try and process that now for the next <laughs> for the next hour or so so Keith Tracy thanks a million for coming on David Snade as well and Anthony Pine thanks Ross <laughs>